Hi, welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that as you listen today, you are blessed and encouraged. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want any more information about our ministry, we'd love you to jump onto our website, harvestaustralia.org. Have a great day. Well, before you get settled, I want to ask you to stand. We're going to spend a few minutes just praying for the situation in Afghanistan and particularly for believers in Afghanistan. And um, most of you will know if you've been watching stuff on the news, it it is unbelievable. It's like watching a movie. It's just incredible what's going on there. But uh, if you've read anything particularly about uh, what's happening to Christians, there's, there's been a very, very strong house church movement, uh, a Christian movement in Afghanistan in the last 20 years, and uh, particularly in the last four to five years, it's really grown, and a strong Christian movement, obviously persecuted, not open, uh, but, uh, but many thousands have come to know Jesus uh, in that movement, and of course, the Taliban um, Islamic extremists are going around. If they're finding any Christian material Bible apps or Bibles or any Christian material on their phones, uh, they are shooting them on the spot, taking the, the girls as uh, slaves or wives if they, if they can. Uh, and so the, it is disastrous what's going on there. And even though we're hearing snippets on the media, we need to know that the Christians are being absolutely slaughtered right now. Um, and uh, it's, it's all well and good. The media keep on harping on to the tele- asking them questions. Are women's rights going to be uh, respected? And it seems to be this, this big ticket issue. There's a lot bigger issues other than women's rights that need to be focused on. We're talking about people, young people, young girls, uh, Christians who really are en masse being um, really persecuted, if not slaughtered, shot on the spot or at least taken. And so we want to stand with them this morning and, uh, and pray with them that God somehow would rescue them, save them, protect them. I mean, some of them right now, as we stand here in this freedom, would not know whether they're going to live till tomorrow. And some of them don't even want to live till tomorrow because they know what's coming. And so uh, let's lift up our hands and all as one, let's lift up our voices to Jesus this morning on their behalf. Let's intercede for them this morning. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we're asking you, Lord, for miracles. We're asking for miracles, not for ourselves, but we're asking for the Christians, the people of Afghanistan. Lord, we stand with them this morning. We don't know them, but Lord, we just reach out to you in prayer. We reach out to you in prayer and we lift up our voice this morning. Whatever our issues are, they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. But Lord, we stand with them. We ask for angels of protection around every believer, that your angels of protection would be assigned to them, guard over them. Lord, that you would honour them and bless them for their faithfulness. 
Lord, that you would bring about your goodwill in their lives. Lord, you would get as many of them out of there as possible, Lord. Believers and unbelievers, those who want freedom, Lord Jesus, we ask you'd protect them and cover them uh, and somehow let there be passages of freedom, open doorways for them to be saved and protected. We pray for those young ones, particularly young women, young girls who the Taliban will take and will do terrible things to. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would step in, that you would step in over that nation, that you would provide somehow avenues of protection, that you would guard them by day, guard them by night. And Lord, we just ask for breakthrough in that nation, that you would move in that nation. Only you can do something. Only We don't have the answers, but you do, Lord Jesus. So we, we're asking this morning as Many millions of believers are praying over that nation. We pray with them, Lord, for somehow that you would break through for your blessing and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, go on praying for, particularly for believers in Afghanistan, even this week, when you're, when you're praying, when you're thinking, when you're standing in what amazing freedom we have, we want to be praying with them because it's not something we want to take for granted and somehow God's going to bring some good out of this, isn't he? He always does. It's hard to see how. But um, this morning I want to share on... Uh, and now, this is going to be a complete mixed bag of nuts, okay? I'm just putting it out there this morning. Uh, so just relax because it's really two sermons in one, which doesn't mean it's double length in time. It just means it's going to be all over the shop, okay? So... Um, because I just couldn't settle on exactly one thing. So uh, I've titled it, Is God Asleep? Is God Asleep? I want to start by reading. We're not going to put it up on the screen because I've got too much to read this morning. Uh, so we're going to turn to Psalm 79. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your Bible app or anything, you might want to follow with me. Psalm 79, and I'm reading in my NASB version. Um, so... Just follow along with me. You'll get the gist. Um, and uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, okay? So Psalm 79. And the psalmist is really crying out to God with this question, is God asleep, really? Uh, in verse 1, O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants for food to the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your godly ones to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water around about Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing and derision to those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you. And upon kingdoms which do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those who are doomed to die. And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom the reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. 
So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. To all generations, we will tell of your praise. It's quite relevant for Afghanistan right now. It's not really why I'm reading it, but to be honest with you, it's, it's very relevant. And I'm sure there are believers from there crying out, God, where are you? We need your vengeance right now. That's what I'd be praying. And um, however, I think all over the world, and particularly in the West, we have this, this question mark. Um, I've got a bit of dust flying down from the roof, I think. Um, is God asleep? What is he doing? Where is he moving? Where is the miraculous? Where is the outpourings? Where is the real, authentic power of the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about just a nice worship session. I'm not talking about the latest worship album as much as we love them. I'm not talking about just great preaching as much as I love great preaching. I'm not talking about some things that we, called, that we call anointed that are just loud talking. There's a whole lot of things that, that we, we go after and, and we celebrate in the kingdom and particularly in Western church, but it falls short of a pure, powerful move of the Spirit of God. And it looks to me like God's asleep. If I think I've been alive for 46 years, it's long for some, not long for others. It's right in the middle, pretty much. And uh, many of us have seen God do significant things. And many of us have seen and heard of God doing amazing things in the generations gone by. And we might look at the landscape and say, God, are you asleep? God, are you asleep in my region, in my family, in my life, in my situation? What are you doing? Where are you moving? What are you going to do about situations? There's wars and rumours of wars and there's pestilence and there's all these things going on right now. And, and some people are fearful. Some people are predicting all sorts of things. And the truth is, we don't even know. But all we know is that God loves to move from time to time and he normally chooses seasons when it's desperately needed. I don't know about you, but certainly in my life, it's one of my ongoing prayers and, and the, the older you get, the, the longer the, the drought becomes, the more you say, God, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to come and smite the earth with your grace and your power and love, not so much with your vengeance. We don't need vengeance. We need an outpouring of his presence and his power and his spirit. And so I want to read to you this morning, and if all I do is just stir up some stuff, then I've probably accomplished what I came here for. Is that okay? Just unclick your seatbelt this morning. You can just relax. I'm just going to read. It's a fairly long account of what was called famously the Second Great Awakening. Many of you have read about the awakenings. You've heard about the First Great Awakening in America in early 1700s and then the Second Great Awakening some 40, 50, 60 years later in, in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And um, what's fascinating about this period in time is most of you would have seen movies about the the English colonies that came out from England and migrated to the United States 
and uh, develop colonies in the U.S. As, as the U.S. was developing as a nation and obviously had a revolution and had independence and all sorts of things historically. What's fascinating about the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening is we see the hand of God really moving in a nation that historically to this day has, is now the, the leader in so many ways, uh, good and bad. But the moves of God significantly shaped that nation. These two moves of God. You, you can't read American history without reading about the impact of the Great Awakenings. The institution of many of their universities and education centre was all because of moves of God. And this was prior to the Azusa Street Pentecostal outpouring. There was no Pentecostal churches. This is Presbyterian churches, Episcopalian churches. Some of you, you say that wrong, you're going to get in trouble. But these are very, very conservative churches, very conservative preachers standing in a wooden pulpit, preaching very typical traditional doctrine, nothing fancy, no lights, nothing like that. And then somehow God moves in. So I'm just setting the scene a little bit and I'm just going to read. Is that okay? Awesome. All right. By the year 1800, nearly a million people had made their way west uh, west in the U.S., they settled in the area of the Blue Ridge in Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, the Northwest and the Indian Territory. In 1803, the crowning achievement of Jefferson's first administration came, the Louisiana Purchase. This doubled the area of the United States and gave an enormous new impulse to Western migration. What appeared to be an opportunity for national expansion, however, seemed dark for the future of the Christian faith. How, believers wondered, could the church possibly keep ahead of the vast movement to the new areas. An Episcopalian preacher described the Carolinas. How many thousands never saw, much less read, or even heard a chapter of the Bible? How many tens thousands who never were baptized or heard a sermon? And thrice ten thousand who never heard the name of Jesus Christ, except in curses. Lamentable, lamentable is the situation of these people. With the later arrival of great numbers, the situation did not improve. In every southern state, religious leaders voiced their fears and distress. A French nobleman who made a tour of the states wrote that religion is one of the subjects which occupies the least of the attention of the American people. Then suddenly, in about 1799, the atmosphere dramatically changed in that Year, a Presbyterian pastoral letter stated that although there was still much immorality and vice, he says, We have heard from different parts the glad tidings of the outpourings of the Spirit and times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. From the east and from the west and the south have these joyful tidings reached our ears. They expressed still greater joy in 1801. Revivals of a more or less general nature have taken place in many parts. And multitudes have been added to the church. From the West, the assembly have received intelligence of the most interesting nature. On the borders of Kentucky and Tennessee, the influences of the Spirit of God seem to have been manifested in a very extraordinary manner. And I want to just read what that means. In the West, the Second Great Awakening began with James McGreedy, 
Uh, he was a stirring preacher, and perhaps equally important was his influence upon young men, uh, Barton Stone and William McGee, historically just a little bit of a, a background. And, and this is what he says. Um, he was preaching in Rogues Harbour. Here, many refugees from almost all part of the Union fled to escape justice or punishment. It was a desperate state of society. Murderers, horse thieves, highway robbers and counterfeits fled there until they combined and actually formed a majority. Interesting setting, isn't it? The area was primitive in the extreme and the pioneers lived hard lives full of danger, loneliness and privacy. Uh, and then I'll just sort of skip some other things. The first real manifestations of God power, God's power came in 1800. Four to five hundred members of McGreedy's three congregations plus five ministers had gathered at Red River for a camp meeting lasting several days. On the final day, a mighty effusion of God's spirit came upon the people and the floor was soon covered with the slain. Their screams for mercy pierced the heavens. Convinced that God was moving, he was a smart man, McGreedy and his colleagues planned another camp meeting to be held in the late uh, 1800 in Gaspar River. They had not anticipated what had occurred. An enormous crowd, as many as 8,000, began arriving at the appointed date, many from distances as great as 100 miles. Remember how they're travelling, right? Tents were set up everywhere, wagons with provisions brought in, trees felled, and their logs to be used as seats. Although the term camp meeting was not used until 1802, this was the first true camp meeting where a continuous outdoor service was combined. And then he says about one of the meetings, one of the first meetings there, the power of God seemed to shake the whole assembly. Toward the close of the sermon, the cries of the distressed arose almost as loud as his voice. After the congregation was dismissed, the sol 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 whatever, uh, <laughs> the, the solemnness increased till the greater part of the multitude seemed engaged in the most solemn manner. No person seemed to wish to go home. Hunger and sleep seemed to affect nobody. Eternal things were of vast concern. Here, awakening and converting work was to be found in every part of the multitude and even some things strangely and wonderful. And he goes on explaining and then that flowed into what was now known as the Cane Ridge Revival uh, where many, many thousands uh, were ushered into the kingdom and amazing uh, really signs and wonders, but a move of repentance and conversion. Remember the setting we're talking about, colonial America, not highly established, nothing fancy. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people getting hungry for something that God is doing uh, out of desperate situations. I mean, we're talking very desperate situations. Many of them had no money, uh, didn't have a lot of prospects. Uh, a lot of them had come from England expecting a whole lot of things and, and it didn't eventuate. And so there was a lot of confusion, a lot of crime as we read about here. And so this is where I want to merge these two things together and, and give you a little bit of history. I know a lot of you know that stuff and you could read an account like this a hundred times of the moves of God. But there was something about this that reminded me when reading Psalm 79 that he hears the cries of his people. He hears your cries for help. He is not distant and aloft 
and doesn't want to respond to his people. Sometimes there is a drawing out so that we will cry out to him. And when we cry out to him, he is sure to move. And it's interesting when we look throughout history, there's only two ingredients required for an awakening. And it doesn't include LED lights, would you believe? Or an album or anything. It doesn't even include a pair of socks. The only two things you need is God and people. God and people. Hungry hearts in his creation and his presence and power. And you look throughout history, that's all he needs. It might start with a couple of old ladies in the Hebrides praying faithfully for the lost, their lost grandchildren and the lost ones, and God begins to move. It might start in a different arena of Wales or England or the US or Adelaide or Morfitt Vale, whatever it looks like, hungry hearts crying out to God, ongoing, God is sure to move. And just like in Psalm 79, the scenery, even though we're very plasticized in Australia, we're so plasticized, we've got many, many things at our fingertips. We've got a whole lot of things available to us. Spiritually, we need a move of God. We actually need a move of God as much now as we ever have in history. Because it's not so much that we're seeing all the crime all around us, but our political system, our policing system, do not have the answers. They do not have the answers. Um, I was la laughing at a, a Facebook group that I'm a member of, and it's called South Life. Anyone um, follow that? Yeah, South with an F. It's just sort of making a bit of a joke of our southern region. Uh, and obviously you, you haven't seen it or heard it, but anyway, South Life with an F. And um, it's... it's uh, it's got Superman Steve. Anyone know Superman Steve? Yeah, there's a couple of people who know Superman Steve anyway. Uh, and I was looking through this Facebook thing. Uh, yeah, some of you are like, oh, okay, that's who he is. Yeah. Anyway, he's famous. God bless him. Uh, but, but I was looking through this thing and, and it's just depictions of life in the South. Now, it wasn't really celebrating our best points, okay? Um, <laughs> it's joking a whole lot about our crime rates and our mental illness and uh, our clothing. And, uh, you know, I've got to be honest, I wear trackies and thongs and sometimes even socks with thongs at colonnades. Anyone else do that? Okay. Um, I know my family try and buy me good stuff to wear, you know, at Christmas time. So, but uh, anyway, so that's self life, you know what I mean? But anyway, so I was looking through this and I'm like, wow, is, is this what we're known for? And, you know, the extremities of south and north of Adelaide have, have this, uh, we have this, uh, you know, fragrance, don't we? Let's call it that. And, but you know what? The more you look, the more you look, the more society does not have the solution because as much as we might laugh at that, they're just as poor in Unley. They're just as poor right in the middle of the city. There's just as poor in the poshest parts of Adelaide. Spiritually, it is a wasteland. And, and they're driving fancier cars and they smell nice and look nice and, all, and going to the gyms and all this sort of stuff and, and it's all good. But spiritually, it's a wasteland. 
The city of churches, the churches aren't full. I know COVID's put a little bit of a stop to some of that. But spiritually, we need an awakening. And so what happens is I was thinking about this and even through COVID, I was talking to some other leaders and some of the challenges they've had through COVID and, and even some of their people, some of the conversations that have gone on with their people with masks or no masks or this or that. And, and I'm thinking, wow, we, we haven't really had any dramas. Bless you guys. Um, you know, I haven't had any issues or, you know, if there's people with a medical condition who can't wear a mask, it's fine. You don't wear a mask. Uh, and, and generally everyone else has been, it's been amazing. And I was thinking about it. You people are a, a very mature bunch of people. The issue is that with maturity, God then asks a question. And he says, just like with Joshua, you can't stay there forever you got to go to the new territory. And you got to be strong and courageous to go to the new land because there'll be new giants. There'll be new things because he's made you a lighthouse. You're a beacon. That's why you're mature. That's why we don't have some of the dramas that may be of yesteryear because there's a maturity. There's a wealth. There's a reservoir. And so we're wanting the deeper things of God. But let me tell you, he will ask of you, be strong and courageous for the next thing. Be strong and courageous for the next land, for the next giant, because he's got prayers that he's waiting for you to pray. Begin to pray the bigger prayers. Tackle the bigger things, because God wants to, I believe he wants to pour out his spirit. I was reading a little bit of history of Jonathan Edwards, and Jonathan Edwards has a lineage of revival in his, from his grandfather to his grandson, and it's phenomenal reading. And interestingly enough, his grandfather said that a move of God is a, is a sovereign work of God and there are seasons where he comes in, ushers his presence into the church for the growth of his, his church and, and some last longer than other. And Jonathan Edwards had a slightly different, and his grandson had even more of a, a Dwight, his name was Timothy Dwight, and, and he terms it in the way, yes, it is a sovereign move of God, but it's also the eagerness of the believers. And so we see the two at work, Calvinism and Arminianism. We see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humans, human responsibility. It takes both. It takes both. And so our cries will be heard. Our cries will be heard. Whatever you're crying out for, he wants to respond. The psalmist who wrote this didn't just write this to have a whinge. Sometimes we can read this stuff and it can get pretty depressing. The good thing is God comes and saves his people over and over again. And he wants to do it again. I firmly believe that. The truth is the more you look around the world, there is a great divide between left and right. And I want to encourage you guys, never let something, it might be vaccines, it might be left or right thinking or whatever. Never let that get in the way of your family. Never let that divide your family. Because in eternity, Jesus is not really going to care. I want to just say that because I can see some people getting so caught up on whether you do or don't. Don't worry. You are free to do whatever God shows you to do. It's no one else can tell you. Don't, don't go raving and ranting to everyone else about your opinion on that stuff because there's great people who are, there's great people who aren't, okay? That's all we're ever going to say on the subject is that no one knows better than anyone else. You are free. 
And so on, on that note, we've got to place a hierarchy of priorities. And over the years, I've shared this before, but when you get exposed to more stuff and when you actually grow in maturity, as I'm saying all of you guys do, some of the little mosquitoes just aren't even issues anymore. Ever notice that? It's like, wow, I used to get so caught up a decade on that thing. Now it's nothing to me. Why? Because you've matured. Because you've matured. Now you can handle more. Now you can handle bigger giants. Now you can pray bigger prayers. Because what used to trip you up 10 years ago, now you can run through. And I want to encourage you, but also challenge you. Begin going after the bigger things of God. Begin asking him bigger questions, because believe me, you can handle it. You can handle it. You are a lighthouse, and this region needs a lighthouse people who will shine with the love of God and the gospel and be able to shine that light through other things. I often remember times in my, as my factory was growing, um, we would have dramas with 20 staff that when you've got 500 staff, if you're still as panicked about those little dramas, you're just going to get drowned. And so I soon learned that I'm going to have to offload some stuff really, really quickly out of necessity because I can't worry about the little drama of someone taking a sickie when I know they're surfing, which is, uh, you know, I used to look at the surf report because when I knew when there was three to five foot glassy waves on the mid coast, seven of my main laminators wouldn't arrive at work. And so I had the surf report on my phone. I'm like, ah, oh, damn, they're not coming today. So that, and that, that used to really frustrate me. When you've got 20 staff, that's a big deal. When you've got 500 staff, it's not such a big deal. See, it's interesting. You sweat on those things when you can't see the future when you don't know what's coming. But once God gives you more, you don't sweat on the little stuff anymore because you can handle a whole lot more. And I'm speaking to you prophetically. You can handle more than you think. You can handle more than you think. You, you've, you've done your doctorates in Christianity. You've been a Christian 20, 30 years. That equals many, many doctorates in theology, in Christian living, if you like. You are qualified. And so pray those prayers and believe for God to answer those things. Because I believe that the, the season is ripe. And, and I don't have a, a great, uh, you know, amazing prophetic word where God's going to do stuff and rah, rah, rah here. I just believe the heart of God. I believe the heart of God more than any prophetic word. I love the prophetic. I love the prophetic. And we need the prophetic. We, I, I believe we need the pure, pure, pure prophetic voice of the Spirit more than ever before. But it's normally shorter than we read it. When, when I read long pages of prophetic stuff, I'm like, oh, just give me the meat. Just give me the one-liner. I need the one-liner of the Spirit in there. Just get, let's get to the Holy Spirit. See, we got so used to materializing and, and Western Christianizing everything that sometimes we've forgotten what it looks like for a real move of God. And it has nothing to do with all the paraphernalia to do with a building and a church. It has everything to do with exactly like I've just read you. That's why I read you this. Suddenly, in 1799, in a state of desperation, an uh, uh, Episcopalian preacher, conservative, what we'd call a, a reformed conservative Episcopalian preacher, who knows 
you know, nothing about Pentecostal, doesn't speak in tongues. All of these things that we, we say have to go along with a revival. None of it. Absolutely none of it. Probably never prayed for, you know, laying on of hands or healing or anything in his ministry. Suddenly, out of the hunger of his heart and gathering of 500, God moved upon a people and he didn't move upon a people to make them feel better. He moved upon a region to save them from their sin. To save them from their sin. I believe our world needs saving from sin because we've forgotten what sin is. We've forgotten what sin is. More often than not, in fact, if you think through of the top 10 revivals that you can think of throughout history, I bet nine of them began by God moving on his people first. He didn't just usher in a thousand fresh unbelievers into a building or a region. First, he begins in his house. So I want to ask you this question. What in our lives might he want to deal with first so that there can be a cleansing of our house so that the lighthouse can shine for the gospel so that he might... And, and whatever way he chooses to move, he will move. But with one cry, I'm sure all of us would say, we want to see God move in our city. We want to see God move in our region so that the celebration of the South is not, is not just the weird and the wacky things of South life. But it's actually the name of Jesus. It's actually, wow, what's going on there over at those churches? What's, what's happening in this Christian movement in the city of churches? Because something's going on. But it takes a move of the Holy Spirit. Not a movement of man. We've got enough of those. Not a franchise. We've got enough of those. Not an album. We've got enough of those. And I love all those things. But all of those things, we are not satisfied with them. We are not satisfied at just even gatherings and new gatherings and new leaders and new people and all this sort of stuff, that is not an outpouring of God. An awakening is when God comes and meets with his people and he does stuff that nothing else can achieve. He brings a cleansing. He brings repentance from sin. He, he washes us in his blood and he shakes us and he bakes us and he makes us. And then out of that comes Nation-forming stuff. Nation-forming stuff. Just like in England, just like in Europe in the Reformation, just like in America through the Great Awakenings. And you, you could go right throughout in China, the underground church. You could go to Africa and you could look at Christianity and the incredible benefit to that continent. And you could just go one after another and you look throughout history. When the finger of God chooses to touch a region and a group of people, history is changed. What if God wants to do that with us? What if he wants to do that with you? And I'm not talking necessarily about we're just looking forward to in 10 years' time when, when God just happens to sovereignly do it. What if he wants to do it in your very heart? What if he wants to bring about a great awakening in your life? I believe there's only two ingredients. God and a hunger in us. God and a hunger in us where we might... Like the psalmist here, go back to the psalms and begin crying out, God, why am I desolate? Why am I desolate? Why, why are my enemies seem to be 
overrunning me all the time? What are these habits that I'm stuck in? What are these thought patterns that I'm stuck in? Why am I bored with Christianity? Why well, don't even want to worship anymore? I don't want to read your word. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. So many Western Christians are bored. We flick through Instagram trying to get, oh, can I get one quote that's going to pull me through this day? Please, just one quote. Oh, there it is. There it is. I'm okay for, the, for a few hours. But I need another one. We, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to make God so real that he draws us in. And he does it time and time again throughout history. I, I pray that we're coming into a season where he does it en masse. But one thing I absolutely can promise you this, even if he doesn't do it en masse in my time zone, my time frame, one thing I know is that he will do it with individuals. He will do it with individuals. So if you're hungering after just getting out of boredom of Christianity, maybe you're stuck in habits that you don't want to be stuck in, in thought process, maybe you're just you're dry, you're weary, you, you've done the cycles of Christianity and it's like you've, you've done everything, you, you try the new albums, they last a day, it doesn't get you very far. But, but you actually need, and I love this term, I love this term from, uh, it's kind of from the Great Awakenings. It's from Jonathan Edwards' grandfather's where I first read it. And, and he calls it an effusion of the Spirit. An effusion of the Spirit. It means an injection of the Spirit. Maybe you're in that situation this morning where you know you just need an effusion of the Spirit of God because things get dry from time to time. Things get weary, we get tired, we get bored. Maybe even through winter, it's a hard time, isn't it? You know, it's, it's cold, it's weary. Maybe you've been lonely, separated through COVID, whatever it is. When God chooses to breathe on us and do stuff in us, then we have an openness and we have an opportunity to see God move in our lives individually. And if an, I believe if enough individuals get to that place, then something can happen in a region. So I want you to stand this morning. I just want you to lift your hands if that's okay. Well, Lord, we, we stand like the psalmist and we don't know what's going on around the world. There's a whole lot of noise. There's a whole lot of opinions. There's, there's people who know stuff, people who don't know stuff. And pretty much we don't even know anything. Like Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless. But you are in control. And you know exactly what is going on. And we trust you above any other authority, anyone on TV, any other opinion, we trust you because you're the king of kings. And the truth is, just like in the times of the Great Awakenings and other moves of God, we're, we're, in, we're in a nation that even on our census has tried to make it hard for believers to openly declare their faith. Manipulation and contortion of our institutions, of our political system, of our next generation, of all sorts of ideologies. There's so much confusion. And the truth is, Lord, we are a desolate nation. 
And we pray that you would come and move with your effusion of your Holy Spirit upon us, your people. We pray upon us, even here this morning, you may stir afresh something of the Spirit of God. We lay down sin today. If we've been in sin, we lay down sin. I want to encourage you, if you've come into this place this morning and you're carrying habits and sin and stuff that's weighing you down, it blocks you from the cross. It is a stumbling block between you and the Father. And there's only one way to get rid of it, through the blood of Jesus. If you're carrying it this morning, lay it at the foot of Jesus. Repent of your sin. Get rid of sin out of your life because it prohibits intimacy with the Father. So we lay down sin this morning, Lord Jesus. At your feet, we lay it down. We lay down habits. We lay down thoughts. We lay down other things, distractions and doubts and fear and pride. We lay it all at the foot of Jesus this morning. We say, come, Lord Jesus, wash us in your forgiving blood. Wash us in your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with an effusion of your power, with an effusion of your spirit. Fill us with your spirit to not be satisfied with yesterday, but to be asking for the giants of tomorrow. Lord, I thank you for a a lighthouse people, people that are mature and looking forward and gathering and connecting and loving on one another and doing incredible things. I thank you for each one in this building and those who couldn't be here. But Lord, we ask for new territory. We ask for new influence in our region. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come with your power, not with our own megaphone, not with our own works, lest we boast that we can carry a move of God. But we need you, Holy Spirit. So we say, come, Holy Spirit, like a fire upon us, with your anointing, that you would anoint us afresh to carry your word, to carry your love into this region and beyond. And we say, come, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just ask him now? Let's spend a few minutes just having a prayer meeting, if that's okay. If you're hungry for him, just ask him. Just say, come, Holy Spirit. That's all you have to say. You can say it English, French, Japanese. I don't really care. But just ask him if you're hungry for it. If you're not, you don't have to ask him. It's okay. Yeah, Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you even to come and teach us how to pray. We need, we need you to come and show us how to have some boldness, how to have some hunger. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would grow in us, grow in us a hunger that overrides every other thing, that overrides every other thing, that overrides. Let us be dissatisfied with all the stuff. Let us be dissatisfied with, with our region and the, 
the contentness and everything that's going on around us, we pray for a dissatisfaction from you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. I pray blessing upon each one, but that you wouldn't just bless us, but that you would speak to us. Speak to us about the giants. Speak to us about the challenges. Speak to us about the promotions and tomorrow and the new territory. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Yeah. I want to encourage you guys. I reckon it's time. We're a mature enough bunch. I think we've been doing the same thing long enough. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of you have been saved longer than I've been alive. And we've been doing the same thing a whole long, long, long time. Now, I've just come off a rather long fast. <laughs> and when you're in a, a, a long fast, I was praying for a whole lot of external things. God didn't answer any of my external things. He pointed the finger on me internal. And he shone the light internally. And he said, well, what are you going to do about this? Well, I've got the mic today. So, <laughs> so I'm going to shine the light on you guys. I'm just going to challenge you. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? And if you, if you said yes to that even internally, then God's going to point the finger inside of you. He's going to point that finger inside of you and say, what are you going to do about it? You've been doing the same thing a long time. You're, an, you're amazing. You're mature. You've got doctorates, degrees coming out of your doctorates and degrees in Christianity. It's time to face new giants, take new ground. I want to I believe that in six months, we can be in a different place spiritually than we are now. Does that sound good? Then the finger's pointing in. There's some, there's some music soundtrack coming on from heaven. I love it. Just put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd do something in our hearts that would be completely, absolutely dissatisfied with normality and the boredom of rocking up to church doing the same thing every single week. Surely, surely, Holy Spirit, you, you are bored. <laughs> You're bored. So we're asking you to come and shake us a little bit. Not too much. But that you would come and you would have your way in our lives, in our hearts. Show us those giants to go after. Show us the land flowing with milk and honey. Show us the promises of God. Show us the fresh new things. And we pray, Lord, that we would not give up until you release fresh new things to Harvest Church, to us individually. We pray for awakening. I pray for a Holy Spirit awakening even this week in some of you as you pray that the, the effusion of the Holy Spirit would come upon you, come upon you with his anointing and his power. Holy Spirit, we say come. We say come. It's a scary thing to ask that because I know what it means. It means mess. It means weirdos. It means some self-life creatures crawling into the place. But we say come, Holy Spirit. And we say, have your way in Jesus' name.